talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to Voice America Women's Network. Good morning, and thanks for joining us this morning. Joining us in this half hour, we got a great show today, as always, of course, is Mira Kirschenbaum, author of the new book, When Good People Have Affairs, Inside the Hearts and Minds of People in Two Relationships. And Mira is going to be speaking. She's going to be our first guest this morning. She is the clinical director of the Chestnut Hill Institute in Boston. We're going to talk to her. She has a website, Mira Kirschenberg. How about Boom. that? Bomb! She's on the air right now. Hi, everybody. Yes. All right. We'll start with Mira. I'm not even going to tell you who's coming up next. So how are you this morning, Mira? I'm excellent. I'm so happy to be on your show. Great to have you on. And you know, you've had, I'm a social worker, I think you've had more experience than I, 30 years of experience as a couple's therapist. And I guess that experience, as you say, made you realize that people who have affairs aren't always bad. Um, I guess... Too bad Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky didn't know that at the time. <laughs> well, you know, most affairs happen because a good person got in over his head, lost perspective, felt desperate, and made a mistake. Eighty-five percent of the time, they feel terribly guilty and want to do what's fair and best for everyone. Of course, there's that 15 percent of people who are disgusting, you know, basically they don't care what they do and who they hurt, they're just out for themselves. But that is not the majority of people today. And unfortunately, I think, Mira, we have lumped them all into one category, which is what your book points out. They're not. It's not like the guy or the woman, I guess, who goes out and just sleeps with anybody they feel like sleeping with at the time, disregarding their partner or their spouse. Um, But you also say affairs can sometimes be good for a marriage, two things you said. And the second thing, and these are controversial, and you should rarely confess to having an affair. I want to talk about that. Okay, which one first? Let's start with number one. How can an affair be good for a marriage? Because you say 45% of married men are likely to get involved emotionally or sexually with someone else other than their partner, and women 35%. Okay, look, people don't cheat because they're engaging in a sinister and selfish plot. Not the 85% of people. They cheat because they're unhappy, and they feel helpless to change things. And every cheater I've ever worked with has not only said they want to do what's best for everybody, they've worked as best they could to come up with a resolution that takes their spouse's needs, their kids' needs, and even the lover's needs into account. But how is it good for the marriage? Why? why well, would, there give is us an se- example. One of your okay, statistics. there are 17 different kinds of affairs, and you have to know what kind of, of an affair you're having in order to understand what to do about it. So I'll go through some of them. Okay. Let's say you're I, thought in there, I have to say I thought there were only two, either emotionally involved, which could be an affair, or sexually involved, actually having intercourse. But I'm wrong. Most so. people, Catherine, most people thought that. And before I did the research, I didn't know there were 17 types. <laughs> and it's very important to know wh- why the reason, the motive for the affair makes all the difference in working things out. Okay, so let's do 
uh, the heating up your marriage affair. This is unconscious, but unconsciously the person is hoping that either the affair itself or that your spouse finding out about it will make things more passionate in your marriage. And that happens a lot of the time. It's a kind of wake-up call for the marriage. Another kind of affair is a see-if affair. If your motive is to see if what you've been missing in your marriage can be gotten with someone else, and if so, does it make as much of a difference as you thought when you get it, then you're having a see-if affair. For every single kind of an affair, I have a diagnostic question, and I tell you what it means and how to proceed. So I can give you some more. Yeah, uh, let's do, because there's another one, that mid-marriage crisis affair, and I think that's a big one maybe because I'm more in that category or in that age range, and I see it all the time, this mid-marriage crisis affair. What's that? Without time and attention, marriages get stale or feel full of problems. So people are tired of the problems and frustrated. They've done everything they know how to do to solve them and not knowing what else to do. They think, oh, I'll have an affair. It's like people, their marriages are terrible. Oh, let's have a baby, then everything will be better. It's the same kind of thinking. It's a mistake, but people don't know what else to do. And until my new book, this is my 10th book, I didn't even know, and I've been working with people for 30 years trying to help them. What about the fact, though, the motive might be good, let's say, because, you know, things aren't, Unmet, you also talk about unmet needs. There are lots of different kinds of affairs. But one of the things that I'm thinking about, Mira, is what happens is then you begin to have this sort of aura of secrecy with your partner. Can that be a good thing? Because it gets us to the next question. You, should, you say you should rarely confess to having an affair, and then doesn't that become the elephant in the room in your marriage? I, I can't seem to be able to reconcile how it would be good for the marriage, and yet You're you don't asking- want to... You're asking wonderful questions, Catherine. These are exactly the questions I asked and I answer in the book. Look, affairs are usually very bad for a relationship, but an affair can be the biggest wake-up call of all. It says, hey, you guys are in big trouble, and if you don't deal with your problems, you're going to lose everything. And some people need to have that ultimatum, basically. It wakes them up, and if there's enough good stuff in the marriage, they'll want to keep it. The reason I say you should rarely confess to having an affair is, well, you should confess if it's likely you'll be caught. And it's usually more likely than people think. Very few affairs are not found out. And you should confess if you've not had safe sex. But if an affair wasn't with someone in your spouse's orbit, confessing, just makes it a lot harder to make things better in your marriage because then all your attention, your time, and your energy are focused on the past rather than addressing the real problems that created the affair and then rebuilding the relationship. And in my book, I show you exactly how to heal the hurts, rebuild the trust, and do everything you need with with the relationship you choose. Mira, does it make any difference, let's say you, you know, either partner uh, has, a, I'll call it a one-night stand, they go away on business, they end up in, you know, a group situation with people at work, and they maybe sleep with someone at work, maybe just once, or maybe even someone they don't know at, some, at a convention. Isn't that qualitatively different than if you are sleeping with your wife's best friend 
for three years. Uh, This is the rule of thumb. If you wouldn't tell your spouse about it, if you think that your spouse would feel betrayed if he or she found out about it, then right there, that's how you know that this is very damaging and it's something, you know, I always say to people, don't have affairs, but no one comes to me before they have an affair. They come to me, you know, after the damage has been done. I'm like an emergency room doctor. But well, we need you, Mira, because you know what? People have been having since the Bible, so I don't think they're going to stop having affairs. So we need to have a book like yours to tell us how to react responsibly and, and get back into the marriage, I guess. Right. Well, some you know, some people do get back into the marriage, and I I help you do that in the most healing way possible. But some people decide not to, and it's important to regret-proof your decision for the very first time. I present in this book everything you need to do so that every step you take, you're regret-proofing it. This is a very new idea for many people. We tend to look for what's right or what's best, but when things are murky, as they are in you know, when someone's having an affair, the only solution is to take things one step at a time and make sure that with each step you ask yourself what you can do that that's least likely to lead to regret. And then things are most likely to turn out okay. The old view of affairs is that they end up like a car crash with the cotton bleeding victims uh, crawling out of shattered windows. And it does feel like that sometimes for people, but it doesn't have to. If you can learn from the experience and see how to regret proof the experiences of others that I describe in the book, and you, you see how to regret proof every step you take, you can end up with your life being renewed and with all the love you've been looking for. Remember, affairs are people looking for love. They're hungry for love. Regret proof. I hadn't heard that term, and I think that's right. It's new in the book. I thought, yeah. thought of calling the book how to regret proof your decision. Yeah, it's but... a good word. And when you say regret proof, what it also what comes up, I think, is part, you know you may have an affair. It, it's the crisis that will precipitate either staying together, or you know you may. So you're not regretful. It may be the crisis that says this marriage is over, and that's a good thing too. That you have a choice. That this isn't working. That this sort of this was the catalyst for ending the marriage, which can also be positive. True? Absolutely. My book, Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay, I exactly do that. And um, since the book came out in 96, 1996, people have told me that, that they, you know, they just were emailing me and they thanked me from all over the world saying, you know, you've given me another chance at life. I was stuck in ambivalence. I had a miserable marriage. And thank you for your clear guidance because um, they don't ask for anything. They just say thank you. We never knew any of this. And I'm doing that again with uh, When Good People Have Affairs. I'm, a lot of people are very angry with me for writing this book. Already on Amazon, there was a very negative review. How can you say that someone who cheats is a good person? And I felt so badly because I'm trying to help people. You know, if they come to my office, what would you do if someone came in and they're crying and they made this terrible mistake? You help them. I roll up my sleeves and I do the best I can with my well, whole the heart. person from Amazon, I have to... You know, you get a, you're going to get all kinds of responses. Obviously, it's a very toxic, emotional topic. But I think there are a lot of people who respond to these things, like or respond to affairs, um, as they 
want the world to be what they would like it to be, not what is, and you're really addressing this is how people behave. So now, what do we do about it? How do we explain it? How can we make it work best for, well, in this case, for both, you know, for everyone, for for everyone, everyone. and for for the the children too. Yeah, exactly. Look, I really want, I really want everyone to know this. There's a 50% chance a person will be affected by an affair over his or her lifetime. Given the damage affairs cause, if affairs were a disease, they would be considered the most common serious disease affecting people today. But it's not the affair that causes the greatest damage to a relationship. It's how the affair is handled by everyone involved that makes all the difference. That's the key. I think how the affair is handled. That is that, exactly, that, yeah. and that is really the key. And how it's handled. Question: What about? Do you find, Mira, there's a difference between the response of a man whose wife who's had an affair or a wife whose husband has had an affair? Just generally speaking, you know, because this is a show for women, Voice America Women's Network, and you know, we have a lot of ladies listening. Do you think, just generally speaking, I know each one is an individual, but women respond differently to their husbands having an affair as opposed to men, respond, or how they respond to when their wives have an affair? I wish I could say that I've studied this and I can give you a solid, bankable, statistically just valid Just your gut, answer. your intuition, you're the expert. <laughs> I know, but I, I really, whenever I talk, I really want to, there's so much bull out there in my field, you know, there's so many theories and people don't do research research, and they don't do follow-up and, you know, that's one of the reasons I write all my books, because I want people to know the truth and I don't know, I don't know, I know that it hurts, whether you're a woman or you're a man, to learn that someone you've made a life with, and look, it happened to me, and I talk about it in the book. So, you know, it, it, you don't think, oh, uh, it's worse for one. It's horrible. It feels like your whole world has just been destroyed, like your past doesn't exist. It's the worst feeling in the world, and I know betrayal. it's from the it's, inside. I mean, the word betrayal, right? That was- right, but a word doesn't capture so all the sleepless nights and the crying and the asking why and how can it happen and what you should do. It's hell. It's hell to go through it. What and my about heart your goes to, to everyone. I want to just get in, just, we have a couple minutes left, so one more question I want to ask you. What about, you know, a lot of the men, it has been men in public office, have had affairs and they get up and they go in front of the camera with their wives standing by their sides uh, and to me always looking like the victim. What, how do, what's your response to that? Okay, I've written a lot about it with the Spitzer thing. I, you know, was interviewed all over the place. But I've got to say that I'm really stunned by the strength people show when their relationship is hit by an affair. When someone first finds out that their spouse is cheating on them, things are going to get very ugly. But once the fireworks have died down, People are amazingly willing, and I work with them, and I know it, to try to work things out if there's even a shred of something to hold on to. That's the key. Is there enough positive stuff to build on? It may take time and tears, but it's doable, and people realize that. Mira Kirschenbaum, everybody has to go out and get the book. They can buy it. 
bookstores everywhere, Borders, Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com. Go to your website, MiraKirschenbaum.com. And also, you wear one other hat. we got one minute left. so just Yes, I'm the relationship expert on RevolutionHealth.com. So I have blogs there, and I, do, I have a group, a free group that people can join, all kinds of things. Great. Great having you on the show today. I learned so much, and obviously, you can learn even more from the book. So thank you so much, Mira. My pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, have a great day. Mira Kirschbaum's new book, When Good People Have Affairs, Inside the Hearts and Minds of of People in Two Relationships. We're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Voice America Women's Network. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone, and we'll be back in a minute. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Wake up and chat. He'll get you out back to your JackLaLane.com presents Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine LaLane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris LaLane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how. Three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack LaLane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to the Catherine Zock Show. I am Catherine Zock, your social worker with a microphone, having lots of fun this morning on Voice America Women's Network. We thank you for joining us this morning. And in this half hour, it's Pamela Skillings. Pamela has written a new book. She is an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, but her new book is Escape from Corporate America, a practical guide to creating the career of your dreams, which is what she's done for herself. So she knows what she's talking about. Uh, she, as I said, She's the, an author, a consultant, and a career coach who walked away from the security of a 12-year corporate career and a VP job to start her own business in 2005. That's pretty scary stuff. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Pamela. Thank you. Very nice to be on. <laughs> yeah. So you're not just giving people advice. You know, you're an author, a speaker, entrepreneur. You, you, you did it yourself. You walked away from this great job. Uh, and as I said, how'd you do that? I mean, because most people, you know, VP of this tw- corporate career, 
um, uh, there aren't many people who are willing to do that, no matter how bad it gets. Yeah, it's very true. And that's, you know, I stayed for a long time because I kind of felt like it was impossible because I hadn't really heard about other people who had done it. And when I would raise the subject, my colleagues would say, Are you, you're, you're crazy, you know, you can't go do something else. You've been doing this for 12 years, you know, got a lot invested in it. So it definitely was a big process for me to go through. And it's part of why I wrote the book because the reason that I ended up leaving is because I found some of these people who had left and made these amazing career changes and been very successful, and they are out there, and it is possible now more than ever, I think, to make a big career change. And I wanted people to know that they could do it and share some of the advice that I learned from all of these other people and, you know, my own personal experience as well. So you were really smart because you had people around you saying, I'm sure it worked. Why would you ever do that, Pamela? I mean, that could scare the hell out of you. But you actually went out and said, okay, I want to do it, but I'm going to find people who have done it. And what to them? Did you talk to them? Did you just read about them? Or how did you do that? I spoke with them, and I, I got lucky in a way because, you know, a lot of, you know, it's hard to know um, what people's stories are and, unless you start to get close to them. And I just happened to have, um, you know, I worked in marketing. I was a marketing executive, and I had vendors working for me. And one of the entrepreneurs that was a vendor for me had done, had been through this process. She had left a pretty high-ranking advertising position to start her own firm doing this kind of consulting work. And I was always jealous of her job. I just enjoyed She talked about her other clients, and she just seemed to be having fun and being very creative you know, setting her own rules, and I just was always a little envious, and so at a certain point, it got really bad, and I just took took the initiative to go up to her and say, hey, you know, how did you end up, you know, making your move and doing what you've done, and, you know, I've been thinking about doing it, and luckily for me, she was incredibly supportive, and we sat down and had coffee, and then she introduced me to some of her friends, and, you know, and then it just sort of, as soon as I sort of made the decision that I was going to do this, I felt like I was finding these people wherever I look. <laughs> yeah, so, Pamela, yeah. you put yourself out there. Once you made the decision and said, I'm going to do it, then you, you went from there. Instead of the, it sounds like and I think most people, they're in a state of ambivalence, and particularly, yeah. I think, today, because of the market the way it is, it's kind of, it makes it even a, more, or one would seem it, to think that it would make it more risky. It would be more fearful to say, I'm going to leave this job that I think is a steady job and a steady paycheck. Yeah, I think people feel that way because they know that, you know, some people have been having trouble finding new jobs, so people think, well, if I walk away from this and it doesn't work out, it might be harder to find another position, maybe I should stick with what I have, and I would never tell people to just go out and quit without planning, but one of the things that I say in the book is that especially when the economy is a little bit shaky, um, if you've been thinking about doing something different, it's probably the best time to start exploring and, you know, if something does happen, if there's a downsizing or <laughs> you get a pink slip or something like that, you know, you might be able to hit the ground running and you might have an opportunity to get a package or have some other opportunity to to make your change or be kind of pushed out the door, but at least you'll be prepared. <laughs> yeah, you and that's prepared. That you, you were prepared. It wasn't like you just one day woke up and said, I can't take this anymore. I'm just giving up my job as VP of this major corporation because you no. really did think it out, you talk to people, you engage people, um, so it was, it was a well-thought-out process. But in your book, you actually take, you know, you talk about the stages of what you call corporate delusionment. What are they? What are some of the features of, of being, you know, so someone who's listening can say, you know, I'm in this position, I think I am, I'm not sure, I feel disillusioned yeah. sometimes, but not all the time. What is corporate disillusionment? 
Yeah, I think it's sort of, you know, there's a lot of different varieties and flavors of it out there. And you're right, I think it's important to distinguish between am I having a bad week or am I really just fed up with this job and I need to get out? Because there's a big difference. And sometimes a small change can can really make things a whole lot better. But I think it's a sign when you're when you're stressed out, when you're dreading going into work, in the morning or the night before or when you're ending your day um, frequently um, feeling like, wow, what did I accomplish today that was valuable or, you know, feeling like it just doesn't have meaning. Um, a phrase that kept coming up, which I thought was interesting in multiple interviews that I, when I interviewed people, was they hated the idea of feeling like a cog in the machine, they said. They felt like they were just part of this whole corporate bureaucracy and they weren't able to actually make decisions or do the kind of work that they wanted to do. And I, it's not that way in all corporations. <laughs> I to say there are good corporations out there that encourage people to contribute and, and do good, good jobs and they don't stifle them. But unfortunately, a lot of big companies kind of, you know, they have so many layers of management, so many processes. And I know that's how I was feeling toward the end. I was feeling like even if I had a great idea or a project that was interesting, it almost got ruined because there was just so much you know, back and forth and 15 people weighing in, you know, yeah. the whole thing. So your creativity or the uniqueness of your idea or what you wanted to implement at work kind of just got lost in the shuffle with yeah. all these people and, and I guess, approvals if you want to, if you have an idea of what to be done. And so you, you really are stifled. And as you say, yeah. not in every corporation, but that is one of the things. Also, Pamela, you're saying corporate disillusionment, it sounds like it's like it's not just that you're having a bad day. You're talking about a consistent pattern of behavior or feelings because you are always feeling this way about your work, not wanting to get there in the morning, wanting to come home early. Uh, and probably there's some real physical manifestations of that, too. I know people, they have headaches, they get sick more often. There's a lot of stuff that happens when you are not feeling good about the work you do or not feeling passionate about it. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, you know, I, I read the studies. There are a lot of studies out there that link, you know, heart disease, depression, all these, you know, terrible physical and mental issues with, you know, prolonged job stress. So it's not, you know, it's a serious thing. It's not just, you know, buck up and, and deal with it. I mean, we all, you know, work is work, and we're all going to have bad days. But when it's getting to you in a physical way or impacting your mood on a day-to-day basis, then... It's not worth it. It really isn't. You talk about the toxic workplace, or we're talking about the toxic workplace, the bullying bosses, moronic coworkers. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> so the bullying bosses, moronic uh, coworkers, terminal boredom. I think probably that's the worst. Another one is racism and sexism. Sexism. I mean, is that a that seems to be one of the major issues or problems? I still, I think, in corporate America with women. What would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's um, you know it's much more subtle now, so it's almost more difficult <laughs> to put your finger on it. Um, things aren't quite as blatant, but and especially in certain industries, um, you feel like you have to work much harder to prove yourself if you're a woman. And you know, there's just a lot of um, assumptions that are made about you. And I also feel that you know it's true. Um, the idea of flexibility is just not a priority for most big companies. They say it. In their HR brochures, oh, we encourage flexibility. But then if you're there and you have a family and you want to, you know, maybe leave a little early on Friday and, you know, do the work from home or whatever, you know, sometimes it's very difficult in practice to actually do that at some companies. 
that, so the reality is not there. Since I don't work in corporate America, see, I've always believed it. I see these big companies, they advertise on television or on their websites, you know, you yeah. get flexibility, uh, but that's really not the case for many of them. Now, that's something to look into if you're a woman, you're applying for a job or thinking of staying yeah. in a, a situation when you're starting a family. I mean, all of those kinds of things, right? Yeah, I mean, some of them are legitimate. I mean, there are great companies out there, and more, more and more, um, if you look at the best companies to work for and some of those lists, um, and you can sort of that kind of help you separate the people who say they do these things and the people that actually do them, <laughs> because there are companies that are, you know, there's um, at Best Buy, for example, they have this results-only work environment where they're very actively encouraging people that it doesn't matter where you work from as long as you're doing a good job and, you know, keeping up with your work. So there are definitely some cool programs out there that companies are uh, are offering. But all too often, um, it's in the company employee manual, and you may even be given the opportunity to take advantage of, say, a flex day, but it's almost like then your boss sort of starts to question you. You know, you're not seen as, as committed if you decide you want to work part-time or work from home a few days a week. Sometimes it's almost um, unspoken, <laughs> but yeah. so, assumptions yeah, well, it's on are the made books, about you. Yeah, on the books, and it's there, and it's in writing, and you have that as a recourse, but you yeah. really don't have control over how your boss feels about it if you do take the flex time, and you're saying that uh, it, it doesn't usually create a really good or necessarily a good relationship where they question how you feel about your job or you're really committed, I guess is what you're saying, right? Yeah, people worry about that. They think like, wow, I have there's this flex time program and it would be great for me, but I've seen other women who do it and I've heard the whispers that people say like, oh, she's home with her kids again. And, you know, they make assumptions. She may be working just as hard as they are, but... You know how office gossip is another one of those unpleasant uh, things about corporate life sometimes. <laughs> but I think when the culture from the top down is saying that flexibility is important, it's it's very different. You know, when your boss and your boss's boss are all, like, sincerely saying we value flexibility and we want to help you do your job well and give you the flexibility to do that, then it's different, then it sort of removes all those weird, unspoken, cultural issues that come up sometimes. Yeah, so it, so it has to come from the top down, and then, it, and then it makes it a reality within that corporate, the corporate uh, attitude, corporate climate. And then we've got a couple more minutes left because I want to tell our listeners that in the book you actually have questionnaires, exercises, worksheets to help you know, readers determine uh, what their real dream job may be. You kind of help them to assess where they are and where they want to go in terms of, of jobs, of their job or their next job. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I want people to under you know, we all go through phases in our careers where we're not 100% happy, and I think one of the most important things to do is figure out why that might be for you right now. Because some people will say, you know what, I'm not cut out for corporate. I've always wanted to start a business or I've always wanted to work in the nonprofit field or whatever the case may be. But not everybody has to make that dramatic escape from corporate America. Maybe it's just finding a better company where, for example, flexibility is encouraged in a real way. Or maybe your boss is just a terrible fit for you and that's what's making you miserable. Or you know, maybe you're just working too hard and you like your job okay, but something's got to give. You need a little bit more time, you know, for the rest of your life to refresh yourself. So, you know, there are so many different options for making it better that I think the first step is just understanding what it is for you right now that is giving you the stress. Yeah. 
So get the book. You'll be able to find that out. Also, I, I, as I understand it, Pamela, you do a series of workshops, so you're going to be doing some in the New York City area that will help you also to determine or to escape from corporate America in a very mm-hmm. practical way. Um, and, and one of those, and I'm not sure when they're going to be, this summer or? Yeah, we're getting ready to schedule some for the summer. So at my website at escapefromcorporate.com, there's a form that people can fill out if they're interested, and um, we're going to set the date soon for the in-person seminars. There are also some uh, uh, phone seminars as well, so um, the information is on the website. Terrific. Escape from Corporate America, a practical guide to creating the career of your dreams. Uh, So you can go on to Pamela's website. You can attend the... Uh, workshops, lots of different choices, but go to the website and then you'll get all that information. Great having you on the show this morning. Yeah, it's been great speaking with you. Yeah, Pamela Skilling's great book, Escape from Corporate America, a Practical Guide to Creating the Career of Your Dreams. Again, Amazon.com, bookstores everywhere. Have a good day. You too, thanks. All right, thanks. Bye. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Tired of those fad diets and exercise routines that you don't stick with? Want to find a better way to incinerate fat and energize your life without those worthless pills or gimmicks? Then tune in every Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific to Fitness Truth with hosts Zach Hunt and A.J. Roberts. Achieve your weight loss and fitness goals and maintain them for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. That's Fitness Truth, Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Did you know your child's asthma attacks can be triggered by things like shower curtains, a blanket, even a teddy bear? I feel like I'm choking. And there are many other things in your home and your child's classroom you may not know about. For the latest information, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. Sometimes I... My parents have to take me to the hospital. Help prevent your child's asthma attacks and avoid the emergency room. Call toll-free 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Or visit www.noattacks.org. I don't want to feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA and the Ad Council. Let's face it, hormones happen. Whether you are male or female, hormones have an impact on your overall well-being. Dr. Hart brings to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely topics that answer your lifelong questions about hormones in men, women, and teens. Tune in to Optimal Wellness every Monday at 12 o'clock p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Optimal Wellness. Live life well. Live life long. Live life to the fullest. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show on Voice America Women's Network. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. And again, thanks for joining us this morning. We've got a great guest, Mercy Maglino from Doormat to Diva. She's a professional speaker, a trainer, and a coach. And she's done all kinds of things besides this. Actually, Mercy was the director of communication for both houses at the New York State Legislature and chief of staff for a prominent New York City congressman, eldest daughter of nine children, drafted by her parents to make things happen, which is exactly what she's done for herself. And she's going to show you how you can do it for you. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Mercy. Oh, thank you, Catherine. Thanks for that big send-up. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, from doormat to diva, you certainly gave me the diva treatment. Yeah, well, you are a diva, and go to Mercy's website, doormattodiva.com. you got lots more information. I think all of us, all of us ladies, want to be divas, not doormats, but we don't know how to do it. And sometimes it just seems overwhelming, like we feel more like a doormat from day to day rather than a diva. So mm. how do we do it? The first thing you have to do is realize that you have to embrace being a diva. You know, I think we're caught up in a perspective that, says, you know, there's righteousness or, um, you know, goodness in being somewhat put upon like a doormat. Um, I am, I'm going to challenge you to say, you know, why not look at the same kind of goodness and righteousness in being a diva? And when I talk about diva, I mean someone who's very close to their highest self, to their greatest purpose, to the, to some people even say, diva, which is the Italian for a woman cro- close to God, that you're a most creative self. And I think, Mercy, one of the problems is, because you hit on something really good, is that when, and particularly women, if they think of themselves as a diva, they have this connotation that I'm narcissistic, that I'm selfish, mm-hmm. and that's not a good thing. And that's not what a diva is all about. Right. So we reframe that. What is it really about when I witness these amazing women? I realize they're doing a couple of things. First, they have a big picture of themselves. You know, they're not necessarily saying they aren't human, but they're playing with their greatest gifts. You know, and everybody has them. You're bestowed on them when Barbara Streisand sings. Sure, she was trained, but you know she could belt out a tune prior to that. When she wanted to think bigger, you know, become an actress versus someone who just sang, she didn't necessarily listen to all the people who said, just stick to singing and you really don't look quite like a leading lady. Um, She said, well, you know, I have a gift. I want to act. I want to direct. I want to produce. She was um, somebody who said, I have gifts. I will fine-tune them. I will hone them. I will get what I need, but I'm going to lead with them. And And that is really, I mean, you said it, that's redefining or reframing selfishness, because it's saying you as a woman, if you have these talents, whatever your talents are, you owe it to your children, to your family, Mm -hmm. to the world, to, to show them, to give it, to give back, to do it. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of, you know, really amazing women absolutely look, look at that way that Jesse Norman, she's an amazing opera singer. She sang it, the first memorial for the 9-11, She's a big, you know, really amazing-looking woman, big hair, lovely features. And she said, if you send up a weather vane or put your thumb up in the air, every time you want to do something different, um, you know, to check in to find out what people think, um, you're going to limit yourself. And she said, that's a very strange way to live because we really owe the world our gifts. That's why we have them. 
So taking center stage in your own life is what you say. Tell us yeah. about some of the people that you've, and obviously that's what you do. Two questions. Yeah, yeah. First, I mean, you <laughs> I ever... learned the hard way, you know, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I had about a doormat-itis that lasted for a couple of uh, decades, and I went in and out of it. But I always know, um, whenever I'm in a room full of women, I always see their power. It's really interesting, even when they may not be seeing it. We make amazing things happen today. I think women are the most creative and resourceful uh, creatures I've ever come across. They have pulled rabbits out of hats and blood from a stone. Um, so first and foremost is to recognize that I was very creative. I was somebody who could call on my greatest self. Even in those moments where I'm flat out and I got the footprints on my back and the welcome is etched right there too, and I've pretty much put myself... Um, you know, at the very bottom of... So what was the defining moment for you, Mercy, when you said, okay, I've got 20 years in and out of this format thing, and you had a pretty... I mean, you you had support, sounds like anyway, support from your family. A lot of ladies, a lot of women, a lot of us don't. Uh, Some do, some don't. So what... Yeah, most of us have to build a fan base. You know, that's what divas have that uh, we may not have, is they got people supporting them. So if you don't have them immediately around, you're beginning to integrate those kinds of people in your life. And I was beginning to do that when I had to make the big change. I was like a lot of people. I had it all. You know, I had work and life, and I had a family and a great job, and I had good money, and I had it all. I had migraines and acid reflux and chronic fatigue, and, you know, I was so stressed out from having this great life or what I thought was this big, great life. Now, that's not to say it wasn't great for a time. I think I overstated because, as many of us, I you know, I wasn't sure of my own value. I didn't know that this was the only way people were treated in a workplace or an environment. So you were uh, saying because you were so talented, you allowed people in your w- workplace environment to take advantage of you, to t- of all your skills. You just kept on It's almost like trying to yeah. prove yourself. Yeah. Don't you notice, Catherine, that women downplay you, you must notice that they just really downplay their, their talent. Oh, women always do. And men don't have any difficulty. Men can do a crummy job at something. And no. it's not men bashing. And they'll say, you know, no. I did a pretty good job. A woman does the same job, and she says, oh, I could have done better. It didn't mm. work out. So, yeah, the same. Yeah, so I think that drives a lot of women to, to overdo it and to over, you know, move into that or doormat-itis you know, bout that needs some vaccination against. And one of the ways I noticed that was to begin to pre- appreciate. I got perspective from other people that really helps get them, you know, as divas do, get a makeover. Go find somebody else and talk to them about, wow, you know, I was telling somebody that I worked, you know, 90 hours that I had a boss that would get me out of the shower at 3 a.m. because he had been drinking and he wasn't quite sober yet, okay? And I would be talking like this was everyday normal things, and they're looking at me like, you know what? I think you need a reality check. That's really, really amazingly dysfunctional. And I was like, really? You know, I had lost all perspective. So Very perspective. easy to lose perspective, though, that you're the example that you're giving. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it, it's not so crazy. I mean, you know, I, I, I can identify with some of that, too, for a very long period of time until yeah. I had to say, hey, I have to stop. I just can't, you know, and suffering from all of the, like you said, the ill, the acid mm-hmm. reflex, the stomach aches, the headaches, mm-hmm. the, all of those kinds of things. 
Yeah, your body, you know, um, you have to guard your body. It's Your body's the first uh, thing that starts to scream because we can talk ourselves into anything. I find women especially have great powers of rationalization. Uh, maybe it's a survival, a survival skill that served us well, but I think we've maybe done it a little too much. So, you know, really taking uh, notice of what's it costing us, what's, how's it showing up in our body. You know, Martha Graham, the famous dancer, said the body never lies. And it, I think that's very true. So yeah, the body feeling, tells the story. Yes, absolutely. So in that case, you know, as you, as you just said, you know, there comes a point you have to say no. And a, beaver, a, a diva's favorite word is no. <laughs> it's just no, this isn't a good, a good time for me. No, I'm not accustomed to being treated this way. No, in order for me to have energy to take care of you, I need energy first to take care of myself. Um, and getting rid of those beliefs that say, if I say yes, everyone will like me. Well, take a look at your life. Is that really your goal? You know, and does Cher everyone said, really like you, or they're just using you? Or it's your perception that they like you. They don't like you. They like what you can do for them, which is very different. And I think uh-huh. the message that you're getting, Mercy, is yeah. something we have to tell our daughters. This is really oh. important. Now, I don't have yeah. daughters. I have sons. But uh, it's a real important message to get out there. I think your message, you know, not allowing mm-hmm. yourself to be a doormat, as you described it, when they're very young. You know, don't wait till they've graduated from college and give them mm-hmm. this little message. Yeah, and the good thing is I do have a daughter. She's almost 19, Catherine, and what I'm noticing is her generation is a little less likely because they grew up in a a background of a different culture, and I think because women like us are showing up in the world, I mean, however you want to look at the presidential race, the fact that a woman was, you know, on on her way, or may still be, gosh only knows, but um, is remarkable. It's just remarkable. Whether, no matter what we think about, you know, that particular woman, Hillary or whatever, it's in evidence. And I watch my daughter, and she has a sense of confidence that I didn't recognize in my generation. And I'm 53, and I'm noticing a lot difference. Yeah. So we Hillary opens the door for us. Whatever happens when the when the door opens, we don't know. But she she opened the door, and it's great to hear about your daughter, 19 years old, and she has a yeah. different perspective. I mean, all this stuff. You know, it never t- it takes generations, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, it's not con- yeah. yes, and we're all part of that change. You, me, everybody listening is a part of that change. You just don't even know it sometimes that you're such a large, you have such a large impact. Mercy, impact. talk to us about your book because you have an ebook. Of- yes, my yeah. book is um, published. You can go to Amazon to get it. It's called From Doormat to Diva: Taking Center Stage in Your Own Life. But if you really want the book real quick, you go to my website, doormattodiva.com, and hit the ebook. And I take PayPal, and it's really easy. Um, it's uh, 10 steps to personal stardom, and each chapter has an exercise that you can um, actually write down, or um, some of them are really more of a contemplative exercise. Others are, are deliberate, like writing something down or practicing a particular attitude or perspective. And so I found it really does help you move forward in um, becoming more of the diva, letting go of those limiting perspectives, uh, really taking... Diva authority or diva authority is what I call it. Becoming divalicious. Divalicious. We have to. We have like just about a couple minutes left. I like divalicious. But mercy, it makes it when you do that and you have your ebook and making it interactive like that makes Mm. it concrete and makes it real. So that yeah. And what did you say? Sustainable change. Sustainable divas are about changing constantly and and staying with the change. You said ten steps. 
Ten steps. How long is it going to take us to do the ten steps? <laughs> well, you know, if you really have your diva boa on and you're eating chocolates, no time at all. <laughs> so it's a different time for everybody. And also, yes, isn't yes, that absolutely. another one? Give yourself really. a break. You're not going to do absolutely. it in six weeks if it took you 60 years to, yes. you know, be a doormat. You're not going to be a diva in six days. No, it takes what it takes. You're already on your way. So, you know, enjoy the journey. It's a wild ride. Yeah, you're great. This was wonderful. Go to, you can go to uh, Mercy's website, doormattodiva.com. Uh, read the book online, Mercy Miglino. You got book. it, Catherine. Did I get it? Good. I <laughs> yes, knew I was going to um, Great. Great having you on the show this thank morning. Thank you, Catherine. You're, you're a great diva and the voice, and I love it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so All much. Right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Voice America Women's Network. I'm Catherine Sock, your social worker with the microphone. We do have to say goodbye this morning, but we have a great week. And I'll see you next week. Have a great day also. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversation with Catherine Zox.